Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by the Alabama Literacy mm-hmm. Alliance, an Alabama nonprofit, which is hosting the Alabama Reading Summit February the 24th at the Clanton Conference and Performing Arts Center. This is a networking event for those working with literacy in the state to come together and learn from one another. For more information and registration, go to alabamaliteracyalliance.org. I'm your host, Shelley Bell Smith. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Matt Burns. Dr. Burns is the Herbert W. Schooling faculty member and professor of special education and director of the Center for Collaborative Solutions for Kids Practice and Policy, otherwise known as SKIP, at the University of Missouri. He is a prolific researcher that is dedicated to positively influencing practice in K-12 schools and mentoring the next generation of thought leaders in education. As one of the leading researchers regarding the use of assessment data to determine individual or small group interventions, Dr. Burns works closely with schools to study and implement response to intervention models intensive reading and math interventions, school-based teams, and generally supporting students with and without disabilities whose needs are not being met. Dr. Burns was also a practicing school psychologist and special education administrator before becoming an academic and served on the faculty of the University of Minnesota for 10 years and Central Michigan University for five years. And I'll also say that I have become a huge Matt Burns super fan. And so I am so excited to have him here today. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate your kind words. Oh, well, they're all so well-deserved. So could you start maybe by telling us how you began working with literacy? Yeah, I was a school psychologist, and I was trained pretty heavily in academic interventions. I was working with students in the schools and recognizing that most of the kids with behavior problems had pretty severe reading problems. So that became the focus of of my practice and then later of my research trying to help those kids who really struggle with those basic, uh, most fundamental reading problems. And I was working with uh, students with severe reading needs and realized that that was a large number of students. And I recognized that maybe it was time we, we not think about individual needs and start thinking of the system and, and how we're addressing the needs of all the kids who are learning how to read. Absolutely. When I saw your work with class-wide intervention, it was like a light bulb went off. For me, it just made so much sense. And honestly, I've been sharing it with anyone who will listen because I just think it's brilliant and so needed right now, especially with what's going on in schools. Can you tell everyone what class-wide intervention is and why we need it more than ever? Yeah, it's a very simple process. We base it on peer-assisted learning strategies, the work done out of Vanderbilt University, where they has a sequential and formal program. Well, we wanted to make it much more simple for teachers and easier to use, so we pared it down to what we thought was most important. So in essence, it comes down to this. You create heterogeneous diets. You put better readers with, with weaker readers, but not the very weak with the very strong. You take the, you know, you match them up as best you can, and then you have them read together. And we have them read from for about 15 minutes a day, 
from passages written at reader two. So we have reader one and reader two. So every dyad is a reader one and reader two. Reader two is the weaker reader. And readers, so we have a bunch of passages written at reader two's instructional level. And we get our past, I get them from readworks.org. You know, most of these free places that have all kinds of passages that you can sort by Lexile, by whatever, those, those are usually just, just fine. And so we take those passages written at reader two's instructional level and reader two and reader one read to each other. They can turns read to each other for, for about 15 minutes. So it's five minutes of reader one reading first. The better reader reads first for five minutes while reader two follows along. Then when they're done, they switch. Reader two reads the exact same passage. So it starts with fluency building. So reader two reads the exact same passage out loud to reader one while reader one follows along for five minutes. At the end of that time, they switch. Reader two, uh, they stop reading. Reader one starts again. They read new text. So now it's not repeated reading. It's novel text. And after, so again, for five minutes, but after every paragraph, they stop and do paragraph shrinking. And paragraph shrinking is just name the most important who, what, and what's the most important thing that happened to that who or what, and say it all within just 10 words or less. Uh, and then they do that for five minutes, and then reader two, they switch. Reader two, they, they pick up where reader one left off, and then they read for five minutes, do paragraph shrinking after every paragraph. So it's 10 minutes of fluency building, 10 minutes of comprehension, basically. Every day, so you know, about 15 20 minutes to, to run. Uh, I've seen so, the reason I keep saying 15 is some teachers will just do four minutes instead of five for each block. I think it was four blocks, and so some teachers have cut that time down to about 15 minutes, 16 minutes, and their data were just fine. So it's a quick, easy way to implement an individualized intervention that's a bit of a band aid that helps kids increase both fluency and comprehension in a pretty short time period, and it has produced some really great results and it doesn't cost anyone anything. And so what do you have to lose? Yeah, we, we the first time we did it. So I'll, I'll briefly tell the story. I was, uh, you're, I'll talk about more about this later, I'm sure. But the first time we did it, I was working in this project and we had, we were working in several classrooms and we were, had small group interventions running. And we saw the kids doing really well during small group interventions, but then when we went and did the, the January, the, the winter benchmark assessment, the number of kids scoring in the proficient range didn't increase. And it got me thinking, and I realized, wow, I've been saying this for 20 years or 15 years at the time, without good core instruction, nothing else matters. You can't, you can have all these great interventions, but if it's not contextualized within good core reading instruction, the kids might learn how to sound out a word, but they won't know how to read. And that's what we saw happen. So we, we started these class, we created this modified pals create this this easier uh, faster approach and within within 10 school days we saw the number of kids who needed help in one classroom went down from 12 out of 20 or 12 out of 23 to five we consistently see that that number goes down to about 20 percent of the kids 20 25 percent of the kids in the classroom regardless of where you started 60 percent of the kids need help and then after this quick little 10-day intervention that number goes on to 20 percent 25%. And we've seen this over and over and over. It's really just amazing. And I'm so ready uh, to try this. When I'm working with schools, I find that small group instruction is considered by so many people as the answer to helping students. I'm just curious as to what you think the role of small group instruction should play in classrooms, especially if we are using class-wide interventions. Yeah, small group instruction is the answer. 
uh, I uh, do a lot of work, as you mentioned, in response to intervention. And one of the areas in which I do research is once we identify the ch children as needing support, what type of support do they need? We group those kids based on their needs and run, in essence, a small group intervention. So if we're doing that right from the beginning, the need to do that becomes less. So good, effective small group intervention instruction that's targeted to the students' needs, it's a really important point, and targeted well, really, really important. So I, I don't, so classified intervention doesn't by any means ever supplant that. That's always got to be there. What we'll do is we've, we see a group of kids with a high level of needs. So we have, in a classroom, we use the class median. If we give a benchmark assessment screener, and the median for a class for that particular screener is below the criterion. So if you're using STAR, and, and STAR says in the winter, this kids in this class should be at a 380. I'm making these numbers up. And your class median is 350. Well, that means that there's a class-wide need. When we say class-wide need, we carve out this 20 minutes a day for 10, 10 school days and run a class-wide intervention. So in an RTI model, if we have time built in to run tier two or small group interventions, we don't start those until after the class-wide intervention takes place. So the class-wide intervention occurs during the time frame that we've picked out, during the time period in the day that we've identified to, to run small group intervention. Now, I'm using the word intervention, not instruction. Tier two intervention. Tier two intervention doesn't start until class by intervention is finished. And we use the time dedicated for tier two intervention for class by intervention. Meanwhile, as part of good core instruction, small group instruction is happening as well. I hope that's, I hope that's clear. I know I'm talking about two different types of small groups. But small group instruction that's targeting the student needs is a critical part of good core instruction that should be happening you know, pretty quickly in the school year. And, and, and then we'll, if we see a class-wide need, a group of children with, with intense needs, we'll run a small group intervention instead of running tier two interventions until we address those needs. You know, when I am talking to schools and they're telling me 80% of my kids need a specific skill, and so we're going to run small groups with that skill again and again, and I'm just thinking that's not the most effective way to do it. You've got to do a class-wide intervention and then you can actually get to the kids who need more specific skills in those small groups. Yeah, exactly. And keep in mind, this is not going to help every kid. I did a, once I was working in the school and we had this teacher who really enjoyed asking hard questions and he would always sit in the back and, and I came in and we, we, he started class-wide intervention and I came in small group of people and, and started the conversation. He immediately shoots his hand up. I call him and he says, by the way, we were not talking about this at all. This is totally out of the blue. Raise his hand and says, okay, I did your class-wide intervention. It was fine. It worked really well. It worked really well for, for you know, 20 of my kids, but five of the kids didn't work well. What do I do for those five kids? And before I could answer, he answered himself and went, well, wait a minute. That's only 20% of the classroom. That's what I was kind of hoping for. And he's just thinking out loud as he's saying this. And now I can really focus on those kids, what their individual needs are, because I've addressed the system's needs. Like he literally said that to himself. And then he was, then he was our, our biggest cheerleader after that. But yeah, you're exactly right. This is not, this is designed to address a systems issue, fix that one bug we have, and then we can dive in to really help the kids on their individualized needs. And it's just a model that I think can apply to anything. We're talking about reading, but it can apply to so many other issues that we're having. And I think that that is really something that has not been discussed nearly enough. And especially now that we are dealing with 
yet another quarantine, kids going to virtual learning with COVID. I'm just wondering what you have as thoughts about what we should be doing right now with students. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that when it comes to COVID and intervention. We have found that, and I, I say we found, but this is now becoming pretty common knowledge with the data, that the kids are coming back lower than pretty much they've ever been before. So your third grader this year is not your third grader last year and, or, or subsequent years. Uh, and so we're recommending schools, we're saying, we're saying to them, you know, why bother screening in the fall? Instead, we suggest kids are coming back lower than they've ever been. Start a class by intervention right away in the fall. Do it for two weeks, then think about doing screening after that. Just assume they're coming back low. I think that's a really good, a really good starting point. If you're doing virtual, so screening has a different purpose in the fall. If, if kids have been out of school for a while, I keep saying fall, but if kids have been out of school for a while, screening when they come back doesn't really serve much purpose because kids are going to be low. I'd rather just do a classified intervention to catch them up and then do screening. Uh, also, we, we did do a classified intervention, as I just described, partnering reading with paragraph shrinking remotely, virtually. A couple of school districts adopted it and saw really great results. It was not difficult to do. In fact, one of the schools I worked with before COVID wanted to try this more electronically. So she took PDFs of the passages, put them in a Google shared file, shared drive for every dyad. So they didn't go get the folder with passages in it. They just opened up their shared folder and read to each other from the computer screen. So there are lots of ways to think through how to do this remotely. And fortunately, we've had schools do this with quite a bit of success. Because that is one of the things that I've already heard people say is we can't do small group and we can't have students reading together because of COVID. And I think that there are definitely ways around that. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. We they did it quite simply with, with computers and shared drives. It worked really well. That's awesome. So you were part of an effort that became press. And I would love for you to tell everyone what press is and how it came about. Press is one of the things about which I'm most proud of in my career. Uh, it stands for Path to Reading Excellence in School Sites. It's a comprehensive reading intervention program. When I was at the University of Minnesota, I was co-director of the Minnesota Center for Reading Research with Lori Hellman. Lori Hellman was in curriculum instruction. I was in ed psych. And we were co-directors of this research center. And out of a partnership with Target, we developed this. So Target Corporation called us, Target, you know, the store called us pretty much out of the blue and said, we've been dedicating our charitable contributions from the corporation side, charitable contributions to cultural things like theaters and museums. So we want to focus on literacy, but we don't know what to do. Can you help us? Now, keep in mind at the time, Target was giving away $3 million a week in charitable card contributions, which you know, just blows my mind. So Lori and I kind of laughed like, yeah, we'll help you spend $3 million a week. Sure. So we started meeting with them and they finally said to us, what would it look like? What would a comprehensive intervention literacy program look like in which all kids would be literate by end of third grade? So we went away, myself and Lori, and, and took Jennifer McComas from Special Ed and the Minnesota Reading Corps and got together and came up with this, this thing we now call Press. And essentially it's a it's classified intervention at tier one. It's it's job embedded PDI. We start with the intervention. Lori always thinks we should start, he's pushing me to, to do this. Uh, with job embedded PD. That's sort of the framework of it. That's the foundation. Job embedded PD, tier one intervention when needed through classified intervention, targeted tier two intervention, and intensive tier three intervention with real specific interventions to use and very specific decision-making frameworks. And so we, we came up with this grand idea, went down to, to Target, and showed it to them. 
And Target said, that looks great. How much would it cost? And we told them. And they basically cut us a check, almost on the spot. It wasn't, but almost on the spot. And said, here, go do this. So we went to six schools in Minneapolis and built this program. Why, you know, the old expression of building a plane while you're flying it, that's exactly what this was. That was, let's dive in. Because we, you know, we, we asked for a planning year. Corporations don't understand the concept of a planning year. They're like, yeah, we, they gave us funding in July. And they said, yeah, well, no, we'll start August. That's a month. You have plenty of time, right? So we, we built this thing and, and hired coaches and hired great people to work with us and had wonderful partners and built this intervention framework that we then built and tested in these six schools. And the data were great. We saw each, each component of it. We saw good success at tier one, tier two, tier three. And also a number of kids who, who passed the state test went way up. You know, all the usual things happened as well. So it was a really exciting process. And, and once the grant ended, we decided to make press more commercially available, throw it online, et cetera. So now it is, it is available, but it's at a cost. I, I'm not sure the cost, but there is a cost. To it. Yeah, it's very small because I've looked at it. And I just think, especially with the monies that school systems and schools have been given because of the pandemic, it is such a small drop in the bucket compared to what many of the intervention programs cost. And so cost is certainly not a prohibitive factor. And I will say, I don't get royalties from it. So when I talk about, which which is a decision I've regretted many times, but uh, because it's used all, all, in almost every state now, but I uh, uh, I don't I don't get royalties from it. So for me, me talking about it and talking about cost, I, that's I'm not trying to jump on business. I, I don't get I don't get paid for it. Well, that's absolutely noble of you, and I'm sure that people around the country would be surprised at that because there are so many other companies making a lot of money off of intervention and. I just was amazed when I found it and thought, wow, you could get this for almost nothing. So Press offers a reading intervention manual and resources that, just like we said, are incredibly inexpensive, but most importantly, they are research-based. What can you tell us about the different tools and resources that Press has? So the, the one of the things that I think is a hallmark of Press is the matching of student need to intervention. As I mentioned, there's there's some very... Uh, specific decision-making frameworks. Now, we don't have assessments in it. We try to write press to be assessment and curriculum neutral. So whatever assessment and or curriculum, reading curriculum you use, this should work with it. So based on whatever data you're collecting, we would, we would guide you through the manual, guide you through how to, how to identify what the deficit is. It's a decoding intervention, uh, need. It's a fluency need. It's a, you know, et cetera. And then you literally turn to a manual, turn the page of the manual, and you start here. Uh, so you first identify they need decoding, for example, and then you do a decoding inventory to see what skill they start. And it tells you, you know, turn to page 38 in the manual and start there. We really try to make it easy, easy, easy for people to use. Now, the funny story about this is that was not the intention. Uh, we had research assistants because we had this nice big grant. And so they are out running small groups with the, with the students. And so just to be, I don't know, almost a professional courtesy, we took all the interventions and printed them. There were scripts. The students were following them. Put them in a three-ring binder and handed it out to the teachers. And the teachers loved it. This is great. I promise this is true. The union called us that night and said, you, we heard you gave out three-ring binders to your teachers, to the teachers. That's true. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. It literally said in the collective bargaining agreement, we were not allowed to hand out three-ring binders to teachers. So we said, hey, you know, we've got some grant money. Can we, can we spiral bind it? That's okay. And I promise this is true, that we can do. So we, we collected back all these manuals, these three reminders, put them, in a, put them together, 
Well, since we're doing that, let's throw a cover on it. Let's write, you know, write a little bit more on it and stuff. So we did make it look nice, throw a bind, bind, spiral bind on it and gave it out. Then we thought this looks pretty cool. So let's see if, you know, let's put it online. So we put it online and said, you can, you can download this for free. Here's a PDF, download it for free or send us 25 bucks to cover the cost of printing and shipping. And we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Boy, within the first year, I don't know the exact numbers, but we had maybe like 10 people download it. We had like a thousand people send us the 25 bucks. So that's when we realized, oh, this is something that's resonating with teachers and we can make available. So then we, of course, took it to the next step of making it even easier to use and, and more professional looking and studied it much more explicitly as well and made it uh, easier to access. So basically, though, it's just it's a tier one, tier two, tier three interventions that are based on student needs that are all we didn't make up any of the interventions. They're all interventions that repeated reading, you know, explicit instruction in you know, graphemes and their sounds. But this is this is nothing we made up. Uh, we just compiled it and created a decision making framework that people can use to target what the kids need. So I encourage everyone to go check it out because you will be very impressed and love the different resources that press has. So as if starting press wasn't enough, you formed the Center for Collaborative Solutions for Kids Practice and Policy, which is SKIP, uh, at the University of Missouri. What's different about PRESS and SKIP? PRESS is a program. SKIP is a center. So PRESS is a very specific program that you purchase and, and use. SKIP is a group of people who are working on, on solutions together. So uh, like, for example, PRESS came out of the Minnesota Center for Reading Research. SKIP is, is that same type of approach. So there we're looking at multiple questions and trying to put information on our website that people can download and use for free, trying to get information out to the hands of parents and, and teachers and policymakers that, that will be useful uh, when they're making decisions about kids. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful collaboration of, of people. Uh, I've really enjoyed working with them and, and hope to do some more. Uh, but it's a way to, it's a system, it's a structure to address applied problems to bring in resources to address those prior problems and then get the solutions out to the to people who, who can work with us as quickly as we can. What is the thing that you're most proud about from SKIP? The thing that I'm most proud of with SKIP is it's it's a partnership. It's a collaborative solution. So although I can't really tell you we create like a press or something like that, uh, the thing that it's, it's helped me do, it's made me, uh, I'm quite proud of is it was the mechanism for me to partner with schools. So it's a way for schools and school districts to find me, partner with me, create this partnership and this collaboration to help address the needs of kids. So it's while we haven't really produced a product, it's been a wonderful tool to help work with other partners. That is such a valuable thing in and of itself. So I love that. Matt, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate so much what you're doing for teachers and students across this country and the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Join us again for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast.